You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Incredible video. Incredible story. I could just pray now. We'll be good to go, but we're not going to do that. Uh, Hey, good morning, City Church. My name is Zach Meredith. I'm the group's director uh, here. Thanks for making us a part of your Sunday. Uh, But like Alex said, we're in the middle of a series called Let's Go. And uh, Pastor Dean is in, uh, he's not here this morning, he's up in North Carolina, been there this weekend, uh, and he's speaking at a conference that many of our high school students uh, attended uh, up at Ridgecrest, um, and uh, they're talking about how to stand uh, strong in your faith during this cultural, uh, you know, uh, the cultural climate and in their schools and on their teams. And so, um, you know, that's part, a big part of Let's Go is investing into that next generation. Um, and so we're, we're really excited for them, be praying for them, be praying for conversations on the bus ride home. Uh, I've talked to Jake, and he said it's just been an amazing weekend for those high schoolers. Um, so we couldn't be more excited. But uh, like I said a second ago, we're in the middle of a series called Let's Go, where we're reflecting on a two-year initiative called Let's Go. And starting in January, so this entire year, we have paired it with the study of the book of Acts. I feel like it's been awesome for our church to go through the book of Acts. I've heard many great things. Uh, Our city groups are going through Acts as well. One of our city groups next week is going to Second Harvest um, because of, you know, all the missionary work that we see in in, uh, Acts, and they've been inspired to do that. And then another city group went Acts throwing last week to celebrate being in Acts. It's just kind of a weird flex, but I like it. Uh, you know, the community is being built. So, um, but as we've seen in this book, it tells the story, right, of the spread of the gospel after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And that's the same mission that we have right now here in Tallahassee and what we are striving to do more of through Let's Go. And so looking at Acts from a very broad view, what is happening? Okay, the Great Commission is happening. Acts 1.8 is being followed. The gospel is being taken to the ends of the earth. People are converting to Christianity in large numbers. Churches are being planted. But as we've been zooming in, right, and going verse by verse throughout this year, looking at a smaller scale of the book, we see what the overarching theme practically looks like on a day-to-day basis. What it looks like practically to live out the Great Commission, to live out Acts 1-8. And what we've seen, which has been really cool and it's been encouraging, is that the book of Acts is comprised of individual stories, right? Individuals boldly proclaiming the gospel in the public arena, in private conversations, right? Peter, John, Stephen, James, Philip, Paul, right? We see individual stories of Christians being generous, And giving so the gospel can go. Barnabas is a great example. Like local churches uh, gathering their money and sending it to missionaries to keep them going. We've seen individual stories of life change, which has been really cool. Think about like Lydia, Aeneas, Tabitha, Cornelius, the Roman centurion, the Ethiopian official. All right, individual stories of life change, of conversion, of following the Great Commission are all throughout the book of Acts. And it's been really cool to be able to dive into those. And then as we look at what's happening here, like in Tallahassee during this season of Let's Go, from a large-scale picture, 
But we see that the gospel is being taken to Tallahassee, right? That missionaries are going. Unreached people groups are being reached because of our funds and sending missionaries. That's unbelievable. And that's the goal. That's our vision is that we can expand our reach in Tallahassee and beyond. And that's what we've been praying for. But as we've zoomed in, right, as we get to see the stories, as we hear testimony videos, as we hear stories in our city groups and our Bible studies, we've been able to celebrate, just like in Acts, that individual stories of life transformation. Right? We've seen it through baptism. We've had over 100 baptisms. We celebrate that uh, since the start of Let's Go. We celebrate that number because that number is comprised of individual stories. We have Baptism Sunday next Sunday. We have a lot of people signed up for that. If, if you want to talk with somebody about what maybe that would look like for you, uh, we have a care room with awesome volunteers that would love to talk with you about that. We've seen individuals get plugged in to our church that weren't in a church. We've seen people sent on mission trips. We've seen our own people that have come up through our SALT ministry pack up their lives and go be a part of a salt church plant, right? Our vision is that that would continue to happen. And it's been really cool to be a part of that. What the Lord has done is in continuing to do here at City Church. And our goal today, our goal this morning, the next 25 minutes, is that we would leave this place encouraged and challenged and uh, equipped to follow Jesus into the world, Right, to follow Jesus into the world. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. What does it look like and why is it important that we, right, as Christians, follow Jesus into the world? And we're going to be looking at this topic through the lens of Acts 21 and Acts 22. Where we see Paul being persecuted by the Jewish people who have rejected Jesus as their Messiah and as their Savior. And before we dive in, I just wanted to uh, acknowledge that it may be a kind of awkward uh, talking about this topic this morning in light of everything happening around the world right now. But what we are going to be talking about today is in the context of biblical times and, and spiritual change. It's a spiritual conversation. It has nothing to do with territories, borders, countries. Just wanted to mention that maybe to, to clarify any misconceptions because, you know, we want to be faithful to the uh, scriptures and not skip over verses as we go through uh, the book of Acts. And we'll continue to pray uh, for those uh, in, innocent people who are being, you know, kind of caught in the crosshairs. And so uh, let's pray together and then we're going to dive into the text. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, God, we pray for those uh, all around the world, the uh, innocent people that are being uh, just caught in the crosshairs of what's going on. God, I pray for uh, protection for them. God, I pray for peace. Uh, I pray that your will would be done. And sometimes we don't know why things happen but, uh, or what the outcome is going to be. But I pray, God, that you would be glorified through it all. I pray for this morning as uh, we dive into your uh, scripture. I pray that you would um, use it to shape us and mold us and and to encourage us in what it looks like to live on mission, following you into the world. I pray for all the churches uh, in Tallahassee, in Florida, in the United States, and across the world that are all unified around preaching your gospel, unified around the cross. God, I pray for all of those uh, churches. I pray that you would be with us uh, as we study your word. In your name I pray. Amen. So over the last two weeks since we've been in this series, 
We, two weeks ago, we looked at, if you remember, the cost of following Jesus, right? That there is a cost to follow Jesus, but it's worth it, right? And then last week, we looked at, uh, uh, we are called to strive for unity in our church, in the church, but specifically here at City Church, a unified body of believers around what? Around Jesus and the cross. And then because of these two things, now we are called to turn our eyes and our efforts to those who don't know Jesus and go to them and follow Jesus into the world. And so today's scripture, it jumps right in to the middle of this scene of the story where Paul is standing at the top of this staircase. He's in chains. He had just been beaten and he's facing a mob of angry people who want to throw him in jail. How did we get here? The Sparknotes version, real quick. All the teachers just shuddered. I said Sparknotes. Sparknotes right here. The last three chapters. Okay, Paul wants to go to Jerusalem. His friends tell him not to. They warn him. There's a prophecy that says, if you go, you will be, in, you will be imprisoned. He goes anyway. He goes to, to meet with the leaders of the local church there in Jerusalem. The pastor of that church is James, Jesus' half-brother. But one of Paul's goals was to unite the Jewish and Gentile converts in the church. So we looked at this last week, right? Despite setting down his own freedom in Christ to accommodate the Jewish believers and strive for unity in the church, in angry mob forms, they start to make accusations against him. They demand his imprisonment. Roman soldiers are looking around going, what is going on? This guy must be a troublemaker. They go, they grab him, they put him in two different sets of chains. They beat him, and then they lead him up this staircase to the barracks to be questioned, right? What's going on? And that's where we jump into the text in Acts 21, starting in verse 37. It says, as he, so this is Paul, was about to be brought into the barracks, Paul said to the commander, hey, am I allowed to say something to you? He replied, you know how to speak Greek? Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt some time ago and led 4,000 men of the assassins into the wilderness? Look at Paul's face. He's like, what? what? Paul says, no, I'm a Jewish man from Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of an important city. Now I ask you, please let me speak to the people. After he had given permission, Paul stood on the steps, motioned with his hands to the people, and then there was a great hush, and he addressed them in Aramaic. Chapter 22, verse 1. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense before you. Paul gets taken away, but he wants to give one final plea to the crowd that just demanded his imprisonment. And what does he say to them? He said, this is my defense. All right, basically saying, explaining why he does what he does, right? What drove him to the place that he is in right now in front of these people? His defense, he's just telling them, hey, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm here talking to you. The next couple verses, he fills in the crowd of uh, his upbringing, right, in the Jewish faith. He kind of gives some credibility to who he was, how since a child he had been super devout since day one. And then in verse four, he says, I persecuted this way. If you notice, the, the W in way is capitalized. And that means the way of Jesus because scholars think, well, Lance Beecham thinks. He's a scholar, though, because he has his doctorate. So Lance 
said that scholars think that in the early church history, Christianity was called the way, referencing John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when we see the way, it means Christianity. So he says, verse 4, I persecuted Christianity to the death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. Being like, hey, ask your top dogs. Ask the people that you have. When you have questions, who do you look up to? The chief priests and the elders. Ask them about me. Right? They can tell you how devout I was. I work with them. Right? He says, after I received letters from them to the brothers, I traveled through Damascus to arrest those who were there and bring them to Jerusalem to be punished. And then Paul goes on to tell his personal testimony to the crowd, right? He's on his way to arrest and imprison Christians. He's traveling on a road through Damascus with his crew, and a light suddenly flashed all around him. And a voice says, Saul, Saul, which was Paul's name before conversion. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He encounters Jesus on the road. And after a series of instructions, Jesus uh, tells this man named Ananias to baptize and disciple Paul, telling him, hey, this man, Paul, right, is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, to kings, and to Israelites. So what is his defense? Paul shares with this angry crowd his personal testimony. His final defense, these people want him dead, is sharing about how God, how God called him into his family. How easy would it have been for him to just be like, Hey, my bad. I won't say it again. I'll leave. Just let me leave. I'll never come back here. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll take back what I said. I didn't mean to like rile y'all up. No, he doesn't say that. His message was, I was once a sinner and now I'm a saint. I'm saved by grace through the bloodshed of Jesus cross, of Jesus on the cross in my place. Right? So Paul Right here, there's no such thing as, hey, it's just not the right time to share my faith. Just got to get to know them a little better before I share them. No. Paul wastes no opportunities right here. And so after he tells the crowd about his conversion on the road through Damascus, he's still talking to them. And look at verse 17. He's still talking to the crowd. After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple, and I fell into a trance. And I saw him, Jesus, telling me, hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. But I said, Lord, they know that in synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, we read about that months ago, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was being shed, he said, I was there. He said, I stood there giving approval and even guarding the clothes of those who killed him. And Paul right here is agreeing with Jesus by saying, you're right. Like they know who I was and I was just like them. And now I'm preaching and following a message that condemns their actions and they're not gonna take too kindly to it. Then in verse 21, he's still talking to the crowd. He says, and then he said to me, then Jesus said to Paul, Go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. That's his defense. 
He finishes right there. What's the crowd's response? <laughs> it's not good. Chapter 22, verse 22. says, they listened to him up to this point. Then he says, verse 21, and they raised their voices, shouting, wipe this man off the face of the earth. He should not be allowed to live. Right? They were cool with listening with his to his defense until he told them that God has included Gentiles, a.k.a. non-Jewish people, in his redemptive plan. But that, thank goodness for that. And Paul's testimony that he shares with the crowd is his experience of being in the world, anti the way, in sin, actively trying to murder and persecute Christians. He was called out of that way of life by Jesus, forgiven of his sin. And then he is thrown right back into the world, a new creation, saved by grace from his sin in Christ, but now with a different goal to tell people about Jesus, not persecute those who already know about him. So as we see in verse 21, right, Jesus says, I'll send you to the Gentiles. But throughout his ministry in Acts, we see Paul has like a rhythm to what he does, right? He, he starts with the Jewish people, aka those just like himself, but he doesn't stop there. And then he goes to the Gentiles, who probably could not have been more different. And we see it over and over again uh, in the New Testament that Paul's typical missionary strategy was to go into a city and he would go straight to a familiar place for him, right? Which is the synagogue. He would proclaim the gospel to the Jewish people there. He would see what happens and then he would shift his focus to the Gentiles, to everyone else outside the synagogue. And then before he would leave town to do the same thing at the next town, he would do everything in his power, and we talked about this last week, to unify the Jewish converts and the Gentile converts and form a local church. Then he'd appoint elders. And he says, pray for me, I'll pray for you. And then he would do that at the next city. We see Paul continually following Jesus into the world, not only by pursuing those he knew, right, culturally, linguistically, uh, religiously, the Jewish people with the gospel, but also to the Gentiles as well. Those he didn't, or to the Gentiles, those he didn't know as well or wasn't as familiar with. And I think this is a great example for us, right? Just like Paul, we're called to reach those close to us, to family. Sometimes that's the hardest people to reach. And to friends, to coworkers, to classmates, to teammates, but that doesn't stop there, right? We just saw it in the video. We take the gospel of Jesus to the ends of the earth, why do we do that? Because the gospel doesn't discriminate. It's for everyone. Even those in our minds that are the least likely to listen. And I think it's, some, it's interesting that sometimes we box, we kind of box people out of the gospel, right? Make caveats for them. Oh, they're just too far gone. I've tried before. They've said, no, I'm not going to do it again. I know them. They're not going to want to hear it. I just want to encourage you, when those thoughts creep into your mind, when you're thinking about somebody that, man, I need, to, I need to be intentional with them. Know, number one, that those thoughts are not from God. And number two, go back and look at Paul's testimony. All right? Go look at Paul's testimony. We just read about it. Acts 22, verse 4 says, he says, I persecuted this way to the death. I arrested men and women, threw them in jail. 
Galatians 1.13 in his letter, Paul writes about himself in this way, in his former way of life. He says, for you have heard about my former way of life, and I intently persecuted God's church, and I tried to destroy it. Paul's testimony, right, the story of the work of God in his life shows us God's power in conversion. We can look at his testimony and be encouraged that God does and he can save the worst of the worst. Right? And Paul, when he's on that road to Damascus, no doubt thinking in his mind that his acts are going to help halt the spread of Christianity. What happens? He encounters Jesus. His life was changed. And in turn, because of Paul's boldness and pursuit of following Jesus into the world, the world itself is changed. And we can thank the Lord for this and rest in this, that Jesus' saving work on the cross doesn't come with the tagline that says, cross this line and you're too far gone. Right? If you ever feel like you're too far gone, if you ever feel like you're past the point of no return, look at Paul. Look at his testimony and know that that can never be the case. So as we continue to talk about following Jesus into the world, there is one verse in the Bible that really drives a lot of what we do here at City Church. Um, you've, you probably know it. We talk about it all the time. It's probably on a lot of your guys' shirts and bracelets or whatever. It's Luke 10.2. Right? It's the theme verse of our college ministry, Salt Company. It's a verse that our staff reflects on regularly. It's a verse that is at the heart of let's go. Right? Why let's go? Why do we do let's go? Luke 10, 2. says, he told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So what's our response? To go. There are a lot of people who don't know Christ all around you. So go. Go into the world. Share your testimony like Paul did of how God changed your life. But then look at the next verse in Luke 10. Luke 10, 3. It says again, now go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. I think it would be very naive of us as Christians and, and dangerous to a certain extent to think that we are the only ones in the harvest. Right? That the world full of people, the harvest, the world full of people looking for hope, looking for belonging, direction, and comfort. Right? So we, we know Satan has laborers in the harvest as well. Right? Looking for ways to sway people to find comfort, security, and things that take and don't satisfy. The, the culture is in the harvest as well, telling us lies of where we should find belonging, who to follow, right? what to follow, how to respond to things, what to prioritize in our lives. Because there's a fact, this is a fact that everyone, man, woman, child, will be and is discipled by something, right? We are all discipled by something. There's no neutrality when it comes to the battle going on in the harvest. Therefore, we individually must be careful while in the harvest, resting in God, 
resting in Christ's promises, but be careful when we are in the harvest because Satan would love nothing more than to sow discord in our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. And we actually see the Bible warn about this, right? As we're on mission in the world, the Bible says that we must protect our spiritual lives, fighting against not being of the world, but being in it, right? In it, not of it. Here's what scripture means by that, Romans 12, 2. It says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God, right? Saying not being conformed, not being molded, not being discipled by the ways of the world, but being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, setting our minds on the promises of God, right? Trusting in God's will, remaining faithful to Jesus, not perfect, we can't be perfect, but we can be faithful to Jesus, and this may seem like a daunting task and sometimes impossible, right, of being a faithful laborer of Jesus in the harvest, in a world that is pulling and tempting in every direction. How do we remain faithful to our calling as Christians? It's not easy, right? If, if we rely on our own power and our own strength, it's impossible to do. But God has equipped us with tools and resources that can help us when we are in the work of the harvest, He's given us the Holy Spirit, right? The gift uniquely given to Christians. He's given us the truth, right, which is scripture. So when we're in the harvest and we encounter something or we encounter a conversation and maybe we have a doubt about something or question something, don't know how to respond, God's given us his literal words on what to do. I didn't know what to write for this one, so I just wrote Ephesians 6, right, which is, the armor of God. Literally, the title is called Christian Warfare. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can stand against the schemes of the devil in the harvest. And then verse 18 of that same chapter, he says, pray at all times, right? In the spirit, with every prayer and request. Stay alert, all perseverance, all intercession for all the saints. So he's given us prayer, a way to talk directly to our God. And then the last thing, he's given us family, right? He's given us community, right? God did not design us Christians, people in general, to live in isolation or with like one other person, right? Christianity is not a lone wolf lifestyle. We are strengthened, we're encouraged, we're spurred on by other Christians, right? Knowing that there are fellow Christians in the harvest with us, laboring, sometimes suffering, for the gospel, knowing that it can give us like this stiffness in our, in our theological spine to stand firm in the truth when we face the waves and the currents of culture that is in the harvest. And we talked about, we talked about this, whoops, my glasses fell. I have my glasses just in case my contacts go out. Um, that was random. Uh, we talked about this uh, last week in our city group. And uh, we talked about, you know, laboring together in the harvest and unity and what that looks like. And um, we read a, a, a verse, Philippians 1, 27 and 28. And we, uh, the, we looked at the ESV translation, which I really liked how it worded it here. It says, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened by anything 
that your opponents can do, right? There is strength in number. There's confidence and security in knowing that you are not alone. And it's this beautiful gift of community that oftentimes we overlook that can be a tool to help us when we are in the harvest, right? Because this weekly gathering of Christians known as church, right? It's a, it's a reminder that like we're not, you're not crazy. Like there are other people that believe the same thing wholeheartedly and that there are other people that are in the harvest with you. So as we close out this morning, while looking at Acts, this chapter in Acts, I wanted to look at four practical takeaways, right, that God teaches us through Paul's example here. Four things that we can take and we can use as we are in the harvest, as we seek to follow Jesus into the world. The first one is that we can't underestimate the power of each individual testimony. Never underestimate the power of your testimony. There's this cliche thing that says, oh, you know, I have a boring testimony. I think that comes from like the camp speakers. When you go to the camp and the guy has like this crazy testimony and you're like, I could never be like that. My testimony is so boring. Your friend asks you like, hey, tell me about yourself. And you're like, you don't want to hear about me. Look at this YouTube clip of this guy at camp. He's awesome, right? There are no boring testimonies. Why? There's no boring testimonies because every single conversion, every single testimony started with you, with me being dead in sin, right? One heartbeat away from eternity in hell. And it ends with salvation purchased for you, for me, by Jesus' work on the cross, paying for your sins to a holy God, and now you are one heartbeat away from eternity with him. There is nothing boring about that. There's nothing boring about that. Every testimony is powerful beyond our comprehension. We know that God uses those stories for his glory. So the second thing, it kind of wraps up with this, is that the gospel is the center of every story. Right? The central theme of your testimony, of my testimony, is nothing that we did physically, nothing that we did, but the common theme that unites all conversion stories is the gospel, right? It's Christ and it's Christ alone. That's what is powerful about our testimony. The third one, we talked about this uh, a little bit before, like don't waste opportunities. We can't waste time. We can't waste opportunities. Right? We see Paul over and over again leverage his time his relationships to live missionally. Like literally, he's at the top of the steps looking down. He was just beaten. He's chained up and he's looking at the Roman uh, guard. And he's going, give me one more shot at these guys. Give me one more shot at these guys. One more. I, I think this let's go vision that we're talking about, that we're living out is a golden opportunity, right? To use your everyday conversations for gospel advancement, right? It's simple things like living life with people by sharing why you do what you do, what you prioritize in life, what you're looking forward to, what you did this, this weekend. Hey, we do this awesome thing at church where we baptism Sunday and 35 people got baptized. It was incredible. You're just getting your hair cut, talking, right? Just telling people about what God is doing in your life. And then the last one is boldness, right? Boldness is essential. A pretty good friend of mine who is a pastor in Nashville, his name's Eric Reed, he wrote this in his book called Hold the Line. He says, as we consider the testimony of Acts, 
and we recognize our need for boldness. If we're going to resist conformity, especially in the midst of a culture that does not celebrate Christian beliefs, we must become bold men and women of faith. If we are to stand against the tide, boldness must become a central attribute to the Christian life. Right? Boldness in what we know to be true is something that we must have that we see from Paul here. So from the past few weeks, we know that following Jesus is cost-worthy, right? But it's worth it. It unifies us together. And then as a result, we go and we follow Jesus into the world. And that resonates with this story of Paul that we just read about this morning. Because Paul, right, was called by God into salvation on the road through Damascus. Literally, he was like, he's calling him, Saul, Saul, what are you doing? And instead of God saying, hey, I've called you out of sin, I've given you salvation. Now go live in this cave until you die and then we'll hang out in heaven. No, he takes him and he throws him right back into the world. And that's what he does with us. He saves us from our sins and then sends us back into the world to engage people with the gospel, right? Verse 21, he said to me, go because I will send you far away. Maybe this means physically far away, God calling you to missions, but more importantly, God is sending us to those far away spiritually. It could be right next door to those who don't know him. And this is at the heart of let's go, right? Why we do what we do. We follow Jesus into the world because that's the mission, right? Laboring in the harvest, being bold like Paul in the way we share our faith, reaching unreached people groups like Craig mentioned in the video. Like that's what we're doing. That's what we want to see expand through let's go. And honestly, that's what we're going to do here at City Church until the day Jesus returns. And we're excited about that. And we want every person in here, every person who calls City Church home to be on mission, right? to be a part of it. Being a faithful servant of Jesus is our calling. Right? It's our mission. And that includes following him into the world. And honestly, God allows us to be a part of his redemptive story. How incredible is that? It's an awesome privilege that we have. So let's pray together, and then we'll stand and we'll sing one more song. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, this morning. God, thank you for uh, the story in Acts that we just read about Paul, uh, for the example that he is for his boldness. I pray that that would spur us on as we seek to introduce people who don't know you to the gospel. God, I pray that we would be faithful in planting those seeds, but ultimately knowing that we can't save people, God. But So we pray that you would use conversations, you would use relationships, you would use seeds planted, and you would grow them. God, as a result, we can welcome so many more people into your family, worship you in heaven with them. God, so I pray that we would be uh, a church that is following you into the world. And we would be individual members of that who are doing that in our own lives. Lord, we thank you for all you've given us. In your name I pray. Amen.